Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. He wanted them to find that meat and develop a taste for that meat and have those, and then acquire or gain those two pleasures that he had, which was first, the excitement of the process, the excitement of the pleasure of the process, preparing, eating the meat, and second, the satisfying pleasure afterwards of having done it. So he told them in verse 32, he told them that in verse 32 so that they would develop a taste They would want this new meat. And in developing a taste, they should become so that this becomes pleasurable to them. He wants to do that for them. The first pleasure, the excitement of doing. The second pleasure of the fulfillment and satisfaction of having completed it. And the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to do exactly the same thing. He wants us to develop the taste for this new meat that we are not naturally accustomed to seeing this as meat. That's why he says, I have meat that you know not of. But he wants us to find, and he's actually giving the implicit promise, if you develop a taste for this meat, you'll develop the two pleasures as well in the process of doing and in the pleasure of the satisfaction of having done it, completing. So the great question is, what's the unknown meat? What is he talking about that he wants us to find, that he wants us to develop these two pleasures of process and completing? The unknown meat is the whole chapter of John 4. It's all about the process of bringing an immoral, impure, sinful, soul-thirsty woman to himself as the fountain of living waters. And the unknown meat has the first pleasure of the whole process, the whole process of it all, of introducing this soul-thirsty woman to the soul-quenching water of the Lord Jesus Christ. The unknown meat has the second pleasure of seeing the soul-thirsty woman drink the soul-quetching water and come from death to life. And that's the unknown meat that the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to have. And so, because he wants us to be able to confess from our souls. You can tell that when I was describing to you about meat, I'm not giving you a sterile description. I'm confessing from my soul how much I like meat, you know. But he, in the same way, he wants us to be able to confess in that way from our souls that it's really true of us and that we can really say it and mean those words. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And notice the first pleasure of his meat really describes the excitement of the process which is described. And we look at these verses which describe the process in John chapter 4, which is all about the pleasure of doing the will of him that sent me. And as we look at these verses about him doing it, we think of the pleasures, the process, I guess, describing to you the Rincon Steakhouse in Mexico City, the selection, the preparation, all about the anticipation, Don Hammond with the prime rib and so forth, actual eating of it, all of that. Anticipation, how the meat's going to come out, is a great pleasure, great pleasure in the process. 
And now think of the great pleasure of the process, like meat, of doing the will of him that sent me, that we see in this chapter. And look at John 4, verse 7, where you can see the excitement of it and the pleasure when it says, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. So right away this woman comes and he's right on the spot. He says, give me to drink. He's excited about this as he can feel the pleasure. He says, give me to drink. We can see him taking great pleasure in the process. It's begun when he says, give me to drink. The process begun. And with this process, the excitement of the process, he's got purpose. He's got intention. He's going to bring this soul thirsty woman out of death to life. And it's exciting. And then in verse 10, when Jesus answered and said unto her, if thou knewest, If thou knewest, just imagine how he might have said it. If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest ask of him and he would have given thee living water. You see what he's doing there? It's like fishing. You know, he's like drawing the fish in, you know. (laughs) You know, he's like, if you only knew. You know, (laughs) it's like he said to the disciples, I have meat you don't know of. It's like you say that in Argentina, I have meat you don't know about. You'll drive people crazy. So he's driving her crazy. That's the process. It's enjoyable to him. And he says, if thou knewest the gift of God, and we see him taking great pleasure in the process of introducing to this soul-thirsty woman that there is a great gift for her. There's an unknown gift for her. And then when he says, if thou knewest who, and we can see him again, he's really enjoying this with the great process and the pleasure in this process of opening the eyes of this soul-thirsty woman, that he's God, he's the Messiah, sent to bring her out of darkness into light. And then when he said, thou wouldest, thou wouldest, if you only knew, you would ask of him. And you know what? He would give you that living water. If you ask, you won't be disappointed. See, it's a great process here. It's a great pleasure that he's taking in the process of leading this woman to understand that she must use her free will to ask. And we see him taking great pleasure in telling her that. We see him taking great pleasure in the process of promising her the mitzah promise that God will be found from those words in Jeremiah. He was saying essentially to her, if you shall seek me and you shall seek me and mitzah find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. It's got a great pleasure in repackaging it, saying it to her, listening. There's a process, watching what she's doing, listening to what she's saying, repackaging the truth like a tailor. I went to a tailor one time, and I said, what do you do? He said, I make magic. (laughs) He described, he goes, I make magic, you know. When I make a pair of pants, I make magic. (laughs) That's what he's doing here. He's a great tailor, the Lord Jesus Christ. Great process, great pleasure. The tailor making the pants and saying he makes magic, he takes a great pleasure in doing his job of being a tailor making the pants. Here we see the Lord Jesus Christ listening and watching, like taking measurements, the tailor, and then making magic as he custom fits just for her what she needs. And in verse John 4, 13, 14, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. 
And when he said that, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. See, he didn't stop after he said the first bad news, that you're always going to be disappointed when you drink this, but he went right on to give the good news, but whosoever drinketh this water that I shall give him shall never thirst. We can see he's taking great pleasure in the process of telling this soul, thirsty woman, that there was water available for her that would not just quench once, but quench for all times in her deep thirst of her soul. It's great pleasure. And when he says, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, we see him taking great pleasure in the process of telling her that this wonderful water could come from him and be in her for as an ever-constant source of uh, satisfaction. And all she had to do was ask for it. And he said, great pleasure. And then, John 4, 16, he says, Jesus saith unto her, go, call thy husband, and come hither. Now, when he said, go, call thy husband, and come hither, we can see him now taking great pleasure in the process of leading her as a sinner to understand that she has a great need for a savior. We can see him taking great pleasure in this process of leading her to confess that she is a sinner. She has to do that. Every sinner must do that in order to be saved. That's why God said to his people Israel in Jeremiah 3.12, return thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you, for I am merciful, saith the Lord, and I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity, that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God. There's a condition. You must acknowledge your iniquity, that you've sinned, you've transgressed against the Lord thy God. So in John 4, 17 through 18, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, thou hast well said. And now we can see him saying, all right now, now we're getting someplace. Thou hast well said, I have no husband. Good, now we're moving in the right direction. He says, for thou hast had five husbands. It's like my father, he had five wives. Not at the same time. And he says, she says, thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. That saidest thou truly. So he's rewarding her. He said, boy, that was really true what you just said. That was very good. Tov meov. When he said, thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is not thy husband, and that thou saidest truly. When he said that, we can see him taking great pleasure in the process of teaching her the words that you need to say. When he says, in that thou saidest truly, he's like the teacher guiding her as to, now you got it, now you said the right words, that's the right words, hold on to those words, forget the other words, that's good words. And this whole process is exactly what we see God did for Israel when he taught them words to say to be saved in Hosea 14.2 when he said, take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, take away our iniquity. In other words, we have iniquity. Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So in other words, he was saying in Hosea, I know that you're so fablunged, you know, so um, messed up. You're so messed up that you don't even know what to say to God. I know that. Same to the woman. I know that. So I'm going to teach you. I'm going to give you the words. Just follow me, 
and just say to him, take away all iniquity. In other words, our iniquity. Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. He says, start there. He says to the woman, start there and say, I've had five husbands and I'm living with the man who's not my husband. And so, verse 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah comes, which is called Christ, and when he is come, he'll tell us all things. There's excitement now. Now she's getting it. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. When he said, I that speak unto thee am he, he told her plainly that he was the Messiah. This is the only person in the New Testament that he made such a clear admission to that he was the Messiah. And we can see him taking great pleasure in this process of leading her, bringing her to the point, and now she's wondering, and he says, yes, yes, I am the Messiah. And all of this is the first pleasure of the process of it all. And that's the pleasure of the process, like with the meat I was describing. And he wants for us to have this first pleasure of our meat. He wants us to be our meat. The process of it all, of talking to a lost souls about the Lord Jesus Christ and showing them he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. That just with the process of telling them and leading them and showing them and explaining should be like the first pleasure of meat. That's the selection, the preparation, the eating, the Don Hammond picture. And notice the second pleasure. He said, the woman, in verse 28, the woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and saith to the men, come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And here he watched her grab a hold of the truth, and her soul was quenched, and now she's going out to bring other people this living water. And so the process is over now, and now he has the enjoyment and the fulfillment and the satisfaction of just watching it. It's like this Don Hammond, you should have seen him when he was finished eating the prime rib, just sits back and just enjoys it. And she got it, and she was now going out, and she's bringing others to him. That's the second pleasure, and that's what God wants for us. He wants to bring us to the point where it would be true of our souls, and we would say these words, and we would mean these words when we could say, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. This last week, Cheryl and I needed, as I told you, we needed a vacation, gone through some tough times, and we needed a break. So what we like to do is we go up to the desert to Rancho Mirage near Palm Springs, and we like to go to this hotel where there are lots of lost Jewish people. They like to go there. And there's a quiet pool for adults only. They're not there. <laughs> and then there, and it's very quiet. And then there's a noisy pool where there's lots of conversations. They're there. So what do we do on the vacation? What do I like to do on the vacation is I get in the water, in the pool, and I float around to find the Jewish people to talk to, see? And then Cheryl calls me the floating evangelist. <laughs> we, we met two lost Israeli women who just lost their husbands. And one of them had just lost her husband's two weeks ago. And we talked with them about the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a highlight of the trip. It was a wonderful thing. It was a, they didn't probably think so. But, I mean, for us, it was the meat. It was the first pleasure process. And the one Israeli woman who lost her husband two weeks ago, she pleaded with us. Please, she tells, please tell me where my husband is. Where did that brilliant mind go? And she didn't want to hear anything about the Bible. She didn't want to hear anything from the Bible. She only wanted a scientific explanation for where her husband was because she was an atheist. And I explained to her that there are two ways to try to understand. One way is called see and believe. And the other way is called believe and see. And I told her that God only works through the second way. God only lets a person see after he first believes. You know, the Pharisees are an example of the first way where it says in John 6.30, the Pharisees said, what sign showest thou then that we may see and believe? See that order. 
whereas the Lord said to Lazarus, tomb, he said, said I not unto thee that if thou wouldst believe, thou shouldst see the glory of God. And so I told these two ladies that what it means that, and then I told them, you know, what it means for a Jewish person from a Jewish perspective to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, they had a word for me about that. They called me a mashumid, which means a turncoat, a traitor. Anyway, I've been called worse. Anyway, so I told these two ladies what it meant from a Jewish perspective to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then my, Cheryl comes, my wife comes, and they're two Jewish ladies, you know. So, you know, and we've been married for 44 years, and, and I told them, I said, actually, I realize it's, I, I say something very offensive, and I never really realized it, but it's particularly offensive to Jewish women because I told them, you know, I've been married 44 years, and my father was married five times, and one time he pulled me aside and he said, how do you do it? How do you do it? You know, how do you stay married so long? And then I said, I said, well, I'll tell you how I do it. I said, don't marry somebody Jewish. <laughs> and I, you know, dumb me. I mean, these are two Jewish women. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that didn't go over real well. But all right. So then I introduced them to my wife. And I said, would you please, I told them from my perspective, would you please, from a Gentile perspective, be very Gentile, I said to her, you know, and explain to them what it means from a Gentile perspective to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what my wife did what she said absolutely stunned them and me. And after she spoke, there was a silence. No one said anything. And she said to them, she said to them this, Cheryl said, you know, whenever I meet a Jewish person who doesn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, she says, I think of what it says in Romans, Romans 3, 1 and 2, where it says, what advantage then hath the Jew? What profit is there in circumcision? Much every way chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. And then what it says in Romans 9, 4 about this, more of this advantage, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption, the glory, the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the service of God, and the promises. And then she said, and when she thinks of all that God gave to the Jewish people, his word, his adoption for them to become his people, his glory to be in their tabernacle, his law, his promises, his service, his Messiah. And then she said, when she thinks of all that they cast away, and then she stops and starts sobbing and crying, and tears now are running down her face. And she just barely gets out the words through her sobs. It's the greatest scandal in the universe. And there was an absolute silence. And I just watched, and as her tears hit the concrete, I could just imagine those tears shocking the universe with her statement. It's the greatest scandal in the universe. And then she said, well, from a Gentile's perspective, If you reject it, and then one of the Israelis interrupted and finished her sentence, if we discard it, then you'll take it up. She said, exactly. Now, during that conversation, that was better than eating meat, by the way, (laughs) because we still went to the steak restaurant that night. But anyway, looking back over how they got to the point of Gentiles taking up and understood, and you could see it, of what they had discarded, it was a great pleasure. It was a process. We could say, our meat was to do the process, the will of him that sent us and to finish his work. That's why the word found is so important in Genesis 16, 7, where it says, and the angel of the Lord found her by the fountain of water, just like the woman at the well. And when the angel of the Lord found Hagar by the fountain of water in the wilderness, it was the same as the Lord Jesus Christ finding the Samaritan woman by a well in Sychar. And when the angel of the Lord finds her, 
In Genesis 16, he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, whence camest thou, and whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress, Sarai. So it's the same Lord Jesus Christ, same one, at the fountain with Hagar, at the well with the woman of Samaria, and the same Lord Jesus Christ brings these women to recognize their past life has destroyed them, and there is no future for them without God. And it's just as bleak with the words that he said to her, where are you coming from, where are you going, as when he said to her, whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, in John four thirteen. And when he says, thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is not thy husband, and that thou says truly. So when the angel of the Lord says to Hagar, in verse 9, the angel of the Lord said unto her, return, shuv, return to thy mistress, submit thyself under her hands. It's the same Lord Jesus Christ telling the woman what she needed to do. If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to me, give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. But whosoever drinketh of this water, of the water that I shall give him, shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And when Hagar responds positively, which she did to the angel of the Lord, in verse 13, she calls the name of the Lord, the one who sees her, and then asks herself the question, have I really cared about him? It's the same as the Samaritan woman responding. The woman says, sir, give me this water. She did what he told them. She asked for it. Give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. So we've seen the most important word in verse 7 is the word found because it tells us that God is seeking. He's a seeker. And God is seeking those whose sins have made them lost so he can save them from their sins. God is seeking those who have separated themselves from God by their sins so that he can reconcile them back to God. He said that in Isaiah 59 too. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you and he will not hear But in Isaiah 1, in 18, he says to this type of person, come now, let's reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Red like crimson, they'll be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the fat of the good of the land. And for us, it comes down to 2 Corinthians 5, 19. To wit, God was in Christ. What was he doing? Reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So this last verse brings us the second reason that I just quoted in 2 Corinthians. This last verse in 2 Corinthians brings us the reason why, second reason why the word found is so important in Genesis 16, 7. It's because God wants us to be his little finders of the lost. God's committed to us the word of reconciliation. He wants us to have our antennas out and our ears attuned to hear the silent cries of the lost so that we can apply purpose and intention like he did to give out God's word of reconciliation. Like the couple who are radio listeners on the East Coast and who wrote me to ask prayer for a lost Jewish traveling salesman that twice a year would come and visit them for the last over 20 years, stopped by on his sales trips and they always invited him in for friendship and for hospitality with their antennas out and their ears attuned. And on this last trip, he told them of his personal struggles that he was having and they were quick to give them the gospel. Why? Because their antennas were up. Because they were looking for the right time to be faithful with the word of reconciliation. So these are the two meanings of the word found that convey to us in verse 7. First, God finds great pleasure, like the pleasure of meat, 
of in seeking the lost to find them, to save them from their sins. Second, God has given us the same work for us to do so that we can find that great pleasure like the pleasure of meat in seeking the lost to find them and see them safe from their sins. And then in verse 8, the most important points are the questions that God asks Hagar when she said, he said, whence comest thou and whither wilt thou go? Yet here we see God, again, great pleasure, skillfully working with lost Hagar. And he's telling Hagar, he's giving Hagar one of those go call thy husbands uh, and come hither statements like he did. Whence comest thou and whither wilt thou go? He knew where Hagar was coming from. He knew where she was going. But the question is, did Hagar know? And the Lord Jesus Christ knew that she had five husbands and she was living with a man who was not her husband when he told her go call her husband. And so if God was not trying to find out where Hagar was coming from, where she was going, why did he ask? And if the Lord Jesus Christ was not trying to find out if she was living with a man who wasn't her husband, then why did he ask and why did he tell her to do that? It's because in both cases, Jehovah Jesus was skillfully, gently bringing the lost through the difficult issue that a lost sinner must face if he or she is going to be saved, to acknowledge they're a sinner. I was once interviewing a Jewish man about his life, and I asked him if he ever realized he'd been a sinner, and he looked at me, and he's shocked, like, sinner, what sinner? Don't talk such things. Sinner, I'm not a sinner. Don't say such nonsense. I'm not a sinner. That's the most difficult issue that any person comes to, but he must, he must, in order to be saved. And that's why we see God taking such pains to gently lead Hagar to acknowledge she's a sinner. That's why we see the Lord Jesus take such pains, gently lead the woman at the well to acknowledge she's a sinner. And God uses a very interesting term in the Bible to describe what it means to acknowledge you're a sinner. And that term is, uh, is found in Hosea 5.4. When he says about the Jewish people, they will not frame their doings to turn unto God. For the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them, they have not known the Lord. The term frame their doings is very interesting because a sinner will not frame what he has done and call it sin, he will not turn to God. Putting a frame around a picture is really to make a statement about the picture. You put a beautiful frame around a picture because you think the picture is beautiful. And that's what you do. In this case, the sinner needs to put a frame around the picture of what he's done and say, that's sin. Make the statement. Actually, the word in the Hebrew, frame, is the word natan, which is where we get the word Nathan from. But natan means to give or to give up. So the meaning is that because the sinner will not give up his doings, he won't turn to God. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor.